Before we wrap up, I want to tell you about an amazing new podcast. You longtime listeners of The Brian Nichols Show know him well, and that is one Brad Palumbo in his stellar new program, Breaking Boundaries. Join Brad as he interviews top writers, politicians, and thinkers from all across the political spectrum to give you a new perspective you won't find in the mainstream liberal media or right-wing echo chambers. From guests like Rand Paul to Glenn Greenwald, Brad is having conversations and focusing on issues that are driving America with the people who are in the driver's seats. So, head over to your favorite podcast app, hit subscribe, strap in, and be prepared for some wild food takes like Rand Paul and his grand mayonnaise conspiracy. Again, that's Breaking Boundaries with Brad Palumbo, available in your favorite podcasting app today. Can I pause for a second and, and just note that uh, we got Brian on here who's getting uh, Congressman Massey on, and our typical lineup includes like homeless people that believe in Bigfoot. <laughs> Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. At The Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. Well, happy Friday there, folks. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show. Thank you for joining today's episode. And unfortunately, today's episode, yes, it's going to focus on a little bit more of the uh, the more blech news, and that is Looking around what's happening in terms of economics, yes, this, the supply chains are crumbling, inflation is going through the roof, and, and we have Daniel Martino here on the show to talk to you and explain all that's happening, how it happened, really a, uh, how did we get here, 101, uh, thank you so much for Daniel for uh, helping outline exactly how we got to where we got today, and how we can avoid this from happening in the future, so that being said, on to the show, Daniel Martino here on The Brian Nichols Show. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Absolutely. Daniel, thank you again. Such short notice for hopping on the show because I I tweeted earlier this week. I said, I want to do a conversation about what's going on right now with the the supply chain breaking down slash just the economic situation we find ourselves in right now. Who who should I talk to? And one of the top uh, mentions was from good uh, friend Stephen Kent. And he says, Brian, you should talk to Daniel DiMartino. And I said, oh, yeah, I've been wanting to talk to Daniel DiMartino as it is. So, Daniel, number one, I am so excited for this conversation because I've been looking forward to actually reaching out to you to have you on the show talk about your, your past experience in Venezuela. Um, but today, obviously, we're going to be focusing on the, the economics of 2021. But first, I tease it there, your, your history. Let's kind of uh, introduce yourself to the Brian Nichols Show audience first. Da- uh, Daniel DiMartino, the floor is yours. Yeah, I, well, thanks again for having me, Brian. Um, so everybody knows I'm doing a PhD in economics at Columbia University right now. Uh, I'm originally from Venezuela, where I went to high school, left in 2016, and thanks to a full scholarship to study uh, my BA in economics in Indiana University, I moved to Indiana from Venezuela, escaping the terrible disaster that socialist policies caused there, uh, which was the thing that initially motivated me to, to study economics. And then, you know, now I started my PhD in economics at Columbia. How about this? When Daniel, let's uh, do this as we move forward here to set the stage in terms of where we are from an economic standpoint, because, you know, and we were teasing this beforehand uh, before we started here, how I wanted to kind of carry this conversation forward, because I think your average person, they are seeing, OK, there's a problem here, there's a problem there, there's a problem here, and they just can't really see how the problems are actually tied together. And 
without looking like um, the, the character from It's Always Sunny, where you're drawing the, the, the string from one point to the other, I think it is important for us to at least show people how this is all connected. So let's kind of start here, Daniel. Where did this whole supply chain breakdown start? Is this something that has been brand new due to COVID-19 and the ensuing pandemic and, and government lockdowns? Or is this something that's been deeper rooted uh, for a long time coming? Well, I think that we have to distinguish several things first. Um, I, I do think that it is related to COVID-19, all of it. Uh, but we have to identify what we're talking about when we say supply chains breaking down. I, it's not like the economy is breaking down or there's not going to be a catastrophe. I don't think so. Uh, what we do see is that there are some things that during the COVID pandemic that were missing in the in the shelves. Uh, we now see some companies that are having supply problems. And with that, we mean that it's not that they don't have the demand from customers. It's not that they can't reopen. It's that when they do reopen, they can't find the inputs for the things they buy. So we, we hear this a lot, especially from chips, uh, chip manufacturing, that there are not enough chips for tech products. Uh, now we you know, have gasoline problems in, in parts of the East Coast because of the pipeline. So there are many supply problems that are compounding because of COVID-19, because of lockdowns from you know, now, you know, some states in Kentucky where I live, despite the, the vaccination drive, many businesses are still restricting their capacity. Right. So it's also a supply problem. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And you mentioned the cyber attack that took place here uh, this past week um, in the pipeline going up here on the East Coast. That's led to a lot of people going, uh, you know, we have 70s style uh, running to gas stations, filling up. I saw a picture of a lady with her car trunk filled with gas tank, uh, like like the little red gas tanks. And I'm thinking that doesn't sound uh, that safe, but you're seeing there has been this reoccurring theme, and actually, Daniel, we noticed this back in March of last year at the advent of COVID, where people kind of understand that the economy, despite it looking like it is pretty good, there is kind of this underlying understanding that it maybe isn't the best. So we saw this, what happened with uh, with COVID-19. People rushed to the grocery stores, completely rip the, the, the grocery store walls bare, right? And we see this now. People are running to the, the gas stations, pumping up their cars, filling up their, their you know trunks with, with extra tanks of gas. So why do we see, a, a, I guess, a mix of people who are acknowledging that there are the problem out there, yet we don't see them maybe taking the uh, the right action in their daily lives? I know economics is a, a a study of how people are actually acting versus what they say they're going to do. So uh, help us out there. How can we maybe draw that line? Yeah, well, people are self-interested. That's the first thing that, that we know. That doesn't mean that they're rational, that they're irrational. That just means that they're self-interested, whatever their self-interest is. And obviously, they don't want to be left without gasoline. They don't want to be left without toilet paper where there were rumors of toilet paper shortages. And, and so obviously, they rush to buy those things. Now, in a functioning market, prices should respond to, a, to adjust to, to, to those changes in demand. In gas stations, uh, we usually don't see this problem of what we call as economists sticky prices. Um, because, you know, gas stations actually change their prices every day. Uh, so they shouldn't really have any problem adjusting to higher prices, which supermarkets may have. But now what we're actually seeing is that the government is prohibiting gas stations from increasing prices excessively or what they call excessive. So gas prices are increasing, but they're not increasing as much as they should so that there are no shortages. 
Some people think that this is immoral, that it's, you know, price gouging or whatever. But the reality is that I'd rather have gas and be able to get my groceries and have ambulances with full tanks of gasoline at $6 per gallon for a month rather than not have gasoline for a month because we want to keep it at four because we don't want it to rise so much. Yeah. Talk to me about right now you see inflation running rampant. And now more and more people, I think, are starting to wake up to inflation being a real thing to be concerned about. It was something that I think more older generations were at least more aware of because they lived through that stagflation in the 70s. But a lot of folks nowadays, especially the the younger millennials and the younger uh, Gen Z folk, they I think a lot of people just have no concept of what inflation actually feels like. And I, and I always use this example of the frog in the boiling pot of water that starts out as cold water, but slowly as the, the heat increases, the frog doesn't realize that the water's starting to boil around him until it's too late. So, and, and Daniel, I, like I need to explain inflation to you and your, your home country of Venezuela, but let's talk about inflation because it is something I think we need to be aware of. And a lot of folks just don't understand inflation at its very core. So how about this? Let's do a quick inflation 101 and how it pertains to our economic standing right now in 2021. Ooh, that rhymed. How about that? Yeah. So inflation is just a general increase in, in prices. Uh, there are different ways to measure inflation. There is no perfect way that we have uh, because we don't just have all the information that we need as economists. Uh, so we just have these imperfect indices to measure inflation. One of them is the consumer price index. Uh, there's the personal consumption expenditures index, and there's many others. And there's different ways to to change them and calculate them. You know, what goods go into the, the calculation? How do they change over time? Um, and so that's how we calculate inflation. And right now, when we saw the last headline inflation number from the consumer price index from April 2020 to April 2021 was 4.2%. That is a high number. Uh, however, we have to understand first um, what goes into that number. Why was it that high? It's not necessarily that inflation is extremely, it's 4% right now. It's actually that April 2020, the base we're measuring against in April 2021 was a, a month where prices went down in 2020 because of the pandemic. Um, so the real number, if you calculate the, the inflation with respect instead of April with February, the CPI adjusted for, for energy and, and, and other volatile uh, goods, it was actually 2.2%, which is in line to what we want, that, which is around 2% inflation. If you ask yourself, why do we want 2% inflation? Why not zero? That's a, that's a question that I asked myself many times when I was younger. And the reason is this concept of, of sticky prices, right? Um, employers, uh, businesses, they do not like to reduce prices. They do not like to reduce your wage. And sometimes the truth is that some employees, some places should be reducing the real wages. Mm. Um, and, and so the way to allow employers to go around that reluctance to reduce things in nominal terms, that is in, in dollar terms, is that we have some inflation so that the people who do not quote unquote, deserve a wage increase, just get their flat wages so that the real wages go down while everybody else just gets an inflation adjustment or even above inflation, which is the, the goal. Mm. 
Wow. So yeah. see, there's so a lot very deep. So I know we, we, we can go slower. And no, no, no. It, it, it's good because there, there's a lot to this, right? And, and I think, you know, especially for the first time folks to hear how it, it does kind of all tie together, how it is laid out and how it is. It's like a domino effect, right? You hit that first domino and it does impact the other. And, and it does lead into what we're seeing right now in the, the rampant, uh, you know, job openings, but nobody's there to fill those jobs. You have a, a deadly mix of inflation plus people getting a uh, massive unemployment benefits from the government. Daniel, can you dig into that a little bit? How is that also impacting this economic situation we find ourselves in? Yeah. Well, first, the the thing that we need to worry about in, in inflation is not necessarily that we have a high headline number this month, but whether it's going to be persistent. If we're going to keep having four months, and yes, that, that is not good news. Uh, 4% is not extremely high, but our goal is two. So um, we, we need to be careful. And, and I, I trust, and, and I think investors trust that, that the Fed will respond accordingly. And that's why you see measures like inflation futures, uh, which is an implicit measure that the market predicts in future inflation, it's still just around 2%. So the market is not predicting any kind of hyperinflation. Um, now, with the job openings, yes, right now we have the largest number of job openings in U.S. history. Uh, this is more job openings than before the pandemic. And yet there are nearly 10 million less people employed than there should be. Why? Right. It's, it's, we just lost approximately 10 million jobs that we haven't recovered, that we should recover to get back on pre-pandemic employment. Uh, and why are there then 8 million job openings? Right. There, there are many, uh, as, as you know, the reasons are for speculation. One of them is the schools being closed. That's a very important issue. Mm. Uh, most of these jobs that have yet to be recovered are jobs that were um, held by women. And, and women dropped out of the workforce overwhelmingly because of the school closures. And so this is also why almost all of these jobs that have yet to be recovered are in states like California, New York, uh, in the Northeast. We do not see this problem still in places uh, like in the Midwest or, or in the South or even in the Plains. Uh, you know, the, the state with the lowest unemployment rate is Nebraska, is 2.9%. So they're basically at full employment. There is almost no economic crisis going on in Nebraska or in Utah or in the mountain states. But it's a different country, basically, in California and New York. A big part of the schools still, yes, now, now that the it's not so much the people that the people fear going out because of the virus anymore, uh, which was the case last year. Now it's more that the government is actually hamstringing yep. economic activity. Uh, that's important. People point to the unemployment benefits. Uh, there is conflicting evidence on whether the unemployment benefits are withholding people from going back to work. And it is because last year we had some studies that showed that people were actually not going back to work because they feared the virus. Mm. Now that might be different because people are vaccinated. So right. there's really not, not a reason for that. We're going to be able to find out very soon because there are already 12 states that are ending unemployment uh, benefits from the federal government next month. Uh, and that's going to allow us to do some natural experiments and see if those states actually perform better. Um, otherwise, they're going to end in September. So in any case, hopefully Congress doesn't renew that because obviously there's no need of this spending beyond September. And if that happens, then, you know, I expect our economy to go back to normal by the end of the year. So you, you'll hear 
these different pundits like Ben Shapiro, for example. And and I know one of the things that he likes to, to point out is he's saying, well, they're just trying to prolong the pandemic. They're, they being the, the Biden administration and the Democratic Party, because this is the the means to get these policies into action. Oh, we need to keep the unemployment benefits going because the pandemic's still going. Oh, along the way, we need to implement all these different other policy prescriptions that we've been wanting to implement for the past 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, and now we're just happening to do it all at once. Daniel, do you, do you see that there might be any uh, merit to that argument that we're actually seeing, especially in these more, I would say, blue states? You mentioned New York, California specifically. I'm still here in Philadelphia. We just got told that PA and Philly are going to have their restrictions lifted. I think it's June 17th, but there's a little asterisk, and that was you still have to wear your mask. So you're still seeing this, This you know, we have to toe the narrative. We have to stick with... It's almost like um, it's like this this like emperor has no clothes kind of thing. It's like everybody kind of knows that it's a bunch of baloney, but we kind of just have to play along. But I don't know about you, I'm starting to see more people start to to not say that, right? But it, it goes back to this this kind of a mentality we were talking about before. I'd love to hear your thoughts there. Yeah, well, you know, first of all, let's start with something. I believe that vaccines work, right? And I got I'm fully vaccinated, and I don't see any need to continue with uh, government action. I do believe that there could be some role for government to protect us from each other. But once there is widespread vaccination, there's really no role of government anymore, right? Um, now, what? Yes, some some needs point out to to that as a reason for the Democrats to extend that, and and I do think that he has some merit that argument. See what's happening right now. States are about to receive $350 billion in stimulus from the last package that they passed a couple months ago already. And that is more money than they need because California is already running a $100 billion surplus for the next two years. They're running, they have such a high surplus that they're not even going to use it to pay the debt, which is what they should. They're just going to give it away in checks to people because Gavin Newsom is scared about the recall. Um, and this is what's going to happen in other blue states. That's a shame because all this money is more than enough to fix the roads. It's more than actually what Biden wants in the infrastructure package that he wants passed for roads. Uh, his two point something trillion proposal for infrastructure, only about 200 billion is for the roads. Uh, states are about to receive $350 billion that they don't need, that they could use to fix the roads and we wouldn't need any more for, for the infrastructure packet. So what is this money going to go for? Why, why are we sending so much money? And I'm not saying that there is no role for government to, to help during the pandemic. The government did a lot. But I feel like we're in a spending party where we're not seeing what we're spending. We're just running the credit card because we see that the interest rate is low. But the interest rate is low today. It doesn't mean the interest rate will be low tomorrow. And if I tell you, you know, Brian... I can give you this new Samsung phone, $1,000 at not, a, not just 0%. I'm going to give it to you at a negative interest rate of minus 1%. Sign me up yesterday, Daniel. Come on. That only mean, but that only means it costs $990. That doesn't mean you should buy the phone. It's still expensive and you might already have a phone. It's, it's, it's but that's the mentality and that's right there, right? That's the mentality people get tricked into because you get excited. You're like, oh, well, I can take it right now. It's like, it doesn't exist. It's make-believe money. You don't have that money to begin with. What are we doing? And, and yeah, I mean, Daniel, when you do make it sound like your average person approaching it, that's the approach I think we need to be taking. So 
how can we maybe articulate this more effectively to your average person? Because right now, and, and we are entering the conversation, I think, that people are having. They're looking around, they're saying, okay, inflation's going crazy. Like my grocery store, a $100 bill used to get me a full cart of groceries, and now it gets me like, you know, the first, like the, where the kid sits, it gets that little part full, but that's about it. I go I go to, you know, the, the Burger King, I go to the, the Chipotle, and guess what? There's nobody there to take my order because, oh, guess what? There's no job. So your average person is aware. They see what's happening and they know that something's up, but they're, they're not really engaging in these conversations. I mean, I had Brad Palumbo on the show and I think part of the problem and we, when we discuss this is that the numbers just sound like make-believe. I mean, $17 trillion, $30 trillion, $7 trillion. It's like a trillion. What's a trillion? Honestly, what's a trillion? You can't even conceptualize a trillion dollars. And, and I, I will say, and, and let me, uh, you know, finish with this and I'll turn it back over to you. But I do think what a great argument for for folks, especially in in the you know the solutions being limited government camp, to to look and say, look at what the the past year has been. We've spent literally the most money ever that's ever been created on Earth was created in the past year, and and it did nothing. It I mean, is our economy better today than it was? at the beginning of the pandemic? No. It, it, are, things, are all the world's woes better than they were with all of the money and the programs that we've been spending money towards? No. And, and I don't I don't see this argument of being we can just put better people in these roles and make it just work more efficiently. That doesn't seem to be a really viable solution. I mean, goodness, if you if that people think that could be the, the option, Daniel, might go for it. Knock yourselves out. I don't think necessarily, though, that that's the most uh, constructive or productive use of our time. Well, look, um, there, there, I think that we have to differentiate some things. There, this pandemic is not a natural economic crisis. That is just a recession, right? Um, so some programs such as the Paycheck Protection Program, the PPP loan program, were put in place so that businesses that we didn't want as a society to go broke during the pandemic because we knew that they would be profitable after the pandemic, um, there, there was no really a structural reason why they should go broke. Uh, it, it was not really as much creative destruction, as you could say. Uh, we wanted them to have a lifeline. And there, there are several studies that have been peer-reviewed and published that showed that the PPP program was extremely cost-effective and successful. But what percent of the pandemic uh, government response was spent on the PPP program? It's actually a very small percentage. Most of the spending went on stimulus checks. Uh, most of the spending went on unemployment benefits that were excessive. That doesn't mean that there shouldn't be unemployment benefits. There is an unemployment insurance program that, you know, it's it's sustainable. They take taxes and, and, and they then use it to, to pay for uh, your unemployment, right? Uh, but it was excessive. So that is a problem. It's not even, it's a problem about incentives. It's a problem about excesses that are going to cost us in the future. Because as it is, regardless of the democratic proposals, the United States is on a fiscally unsustainable path. And that might seem like people don't want to care about it, but Medicare, the Medicare trust fund is going to run out of money in 2024. That is in the next presidential election year. And the government, Congress, is going to have to choose to either allow the trust fund to go into debt, so further get us into debt, or I think that they're also going to have to make either cuts or tax increases. And the pandemic and the excessive government uh, indebtedness now is just going to make future government spending cuts and tax increases even sharper for us. 
So it's going to be a problem. We're going to have to pay for it. And it's not going to be in some far future. Medicare trust fund runs out in 2024. The Social Security trust fund runs at the beginning of the next decade. Uh, and if nothing is done, there's going to be cuts to Social Security and seniors are going to be into trouble. Um, the other things I see is, you see, we, we, we're, we're spending, the, the government is spending all this money and now Biden wants to spend even more and increase taxes. And believe it or not, but lowering when Trump lowered the, low, the corporate income tax to 21%, it actually not didn't have as full of an effect or it's not having that full of an effect right now because companies do not invest based on the current tax rate. They invest based on the expected tax rate in the future. And if they expect just the expectation of Democrats increasing corporate taxes is going to reduce investment. But it's not going to bring revenue because it's an expectation. It's not an actual tax rate. So just the talk of increasing the corporate tax rate is hurting our economy right now today. And we're not seeing it because most of the things that happen in our economy are not going to turn us into a crisis immediately, but they're going to chip away half a percent of growth this year, half a percent next year, and so on. And in 100 years, half a percent per year, we could have been triple the size of the economy and three times as rich. Right. And, and, and these small things compound. And, and, you know, all the regulations, all the excessive debt, that is compounding. And, and, and that is a problem that we need to address. Well, Daniel, at the show, we approach things through a, a solutions-based approach. And in, in, as a sales executive, I am. And I, I want to say to you now, well, let's do this. Let's not leave the audience with a, a sense of impending doom, but rather that prescription for a better future. So what would you say, Daniel? I'm giving you the keys, and you get to uh, to drive us to the destination that's going to put us in the best path going forward. What does that prescription look like in terms of both an economic, but also in terms of a, a political prescription? Yeah, well, one of the first things that the government should really be doing and, and a way to increase purchasing power of all Americans almost immediately and create jobs is to lower trade barriers. Uh, the United States has excessive trade barriers with other countries, especially, and I'm not saying to, you know, lower trade barriers specifically with China, which might be an adversary, right? Well, it is an adversary. Uh, I'm saying, you know, the European Union, Canada, Mexico, you know, Latin America, Africa, if you lower trade barriers, things are going to be cheaper. So there you go with the problem of, of inflation that, that many people are complaining about. And you're going to create more jobs because it's going to be more trade, more import companies, export companies. It's going to create so much prosperity. And that can be done from the executive branch, although Congress can help too. Without, without a need for free trade agreements, you could do this unilaterally. Um, other things that should be done is to reduce, we, we talk a lot about this, and I bet you had other guests on your show, uh, excessive housing re uh, regulations. There are increasing housing prices because they tighten the supply of housing. There are some places where you can't build a duplex and only a single family home. Why is that? It's, it, we could increase the number of homes and, and reduce the, their price and, and make them affordable for young people to start families, to have children, to have a prosperous American society very easily. Just through regulation. This is not spending. This is not taxes. It's all regulations. And, and other things that we should do, of course, is to let the price system be. Uh, the government, the you know, the Secretary of Energy was yesterday on TV saying that if gas stations increase prices too much, that customers should call and and, and denounce them because this is not acceptable. 
The cornerstone of a free market system is a free price system. This is even beyond the welfare state and the tax system. The price system is the most important part. You can't have a generous welfare state if it's well-funded through, you know, well-done taxation like the Nordic countries. But you need to have a free price system. And and so if you have lower trade barriers, less regulation and a free price system, you're going to have so much more prosperity. So much and more prosperity. To, and you don't have to touch the budget. There you go. It's easy. Daniel just gave you the, the, the foolproof plan, folks. It's like Murph from Impractical Jokers. He's just got a foolproof plan. I like it. So uh, how about this, Daniel? <laughs> I, I tease it. It's one of my favorite shows. I think it's still on TV. And they still are, are kicking. I, God bless them. Um, but anyways, we're, we're getting ready to wrap up here. And uh, I, I want to make sure we do have you back on in the future because your story is is absolutely incredible. And just you're, you're being able to kind of outline what Venezuela was like, what it is like now. I actually had a good friend from college in the show back three years ago or so. Uh, and she, you know, same is my story was or the episode was called the tragedy in Venezuela. And it was her story and talking about her family, their experience, their current experience. So I know it's something that, you know, is something that a lot of people need to hear about because they're like, it couldn't happen here. No, it could. It, and it happened in Venezuela, just, just to our, our Southern border. So, um, with that being said though, Daniel, I know you, you got a lot of stuff that you're doing over in your, uh, your world. So how about this? I know you have a, a new immigration. Uh, is it a, is it a book that's coming out? Speak to us there. Uh, so I'm coming up with a new video series. About series. There we go. Thank you. Yes. 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 Uh, so it's going to be three videos and it's going to be about how we can improve the immigration system in the United States to make it simpler, to make it more merit based, to accept more people with higher skills and, and to, yes, uh, in, improve the American economy that today so many entrepreneurs, so many highly skilled professionals, doctors, even Nobel Prize winners aren't able to immigrate legally to the United States. And that's a problem for yeah. Americans. It's true that there should be more doctors, there should be more engineers more people, you know, working and, and paying taxes and, and improving the economy. And the immigration system today is totally outdated. It's mostly paper-based. It's not even online. Uh, and it's so costly. People don't know this, but the United States spends tens, if not even over $100 billion in administration of ridiculous immigration rules. Administration rules, bureaucracies. I think 2020 has taught us one thing, is that those three-letter organizations often just get in the way but hey that's a conversation for another day i'm rhyming today i don't know what's up daniel d martino thank you so much for all you're doing in terms of helping raise awareness and making free market economics easy for folks to understand that being said thank you so much for joining the brian nichols show thank you ryan let's sell liberty and look good doing it with proud libertarian Folks, when we're selling liberty, we have to start things off by peaking interest. And what better way to peak some interest than by rocking some amazing apparel from Proud Libertarian. Personally, I'm a huge fan of their Do Good Recklessly t-shirt, but there's more than t-shirts to find from awesome taxationist theft snapbacks to the killer Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death hoodies. Proud Libertarian has all the libertarian swag you need. And guess what? Brian Nichols Show audience members can rock the latest libertarian swag and save some cash on every single order. All you have to do, use code TBNS at checkout and you'll get 10% off your entire cart at checkout. That's right. Each time you order, use code TBNS and you'll instantly get 10% off your entire order. Listen, I am super excited to have Proud Libertarian here as a sponsor on the Brian Nichols Show. So do me a favor, head over there to Proud Libertarian, place your order today, use code TBNS at checkout, save 10% on your order and help support libertarian entrepreneurs today. 
Alrighty, folks, that's going to wrap up my conversation with Daniel DiMartino discussing all things economics. Thank you, Daniel, for joining the program, and thank you, folks, for joining the show. Yes, we need you folks to know exactly what's happening out there so we can try and confront, uh, number one, all the misinformation, but number two, best be able to offer viable solutions to people to the problems they see around them right here and now, and how do we avoid this from happening in the future? People are looking for answers, and thank you, Daniel, for joining the show to help give those answers in a world that so desperately needs them. Folks, please do me a favor as you share today's episode go ahead and tag yours truly at b nichols liberty twitter facebook minds.com and parlor.com if you enjoyed today's episode i would love to hear about it email me brian at brian also if you've not had the chance yet head over to apple podcast give us a quick five star rating and review it costs you nothing but hey it really yields amazing results because people love to hear why other people like podcasts believe it or not hey actually you know believe it that's how reviews work there's social proof built in the reviews trust me it's part of how we build social proof when you're going through and conditioning people through the sales cycle to get them to get small yeses it's a whole thing we'll talk about it if you head over to our patreon and become a subscribing a supporting a member of our patreon that's right how about that for a transition you can be an entry-level sales executive or an account executive five dollars or ten dollars a month but regardless you'll be given either way one of these awesome don't hurt people don't take people's stuff bumper stickers that's right isn't that fancy folks it piques interest and that's the whole point of the bumper sticker and it definitely has been doing that here for myself getting people a lot of people interested saying hey tell me more will will you explain what that means yes (laughs) yes i will i will tell you what that means and it always uh, leads to some great conversations now if you're interested in how you can maybe engage in more conversations well i've gone on my way to make a free resource and that is a brand new ebook and it is for easy steps you can implement right now to go ahead and sell liberty to friends and family and folks you can go ahead and find that at briannicholshow.com forward slash liberty friends ebook one more time brian nichols brian nicholsshow.com it's been a day brian nicholsshow.com forward slash liberty friends ebook i will include that link in the show notes it is a great summary of what you can do right now in terms of trying to go ahead and help sell liberty change people's hearts and minds by showing them the solutions to the problems they see around them folks Thank you so much for another fantastic week here on the program. Thank you to all of our amazing guests. And thank you to the amazing audience here at The Brian Nichols Show. Without you folks, it would not be possible. Coming up here on Sunday. Sunday, we are joined by returning friend of the show, Sam Robb. Now, Sam ran for the president as a libertarian back in 2020. And now he has joined the program on our Sunday Candidate Highlight Series, not as a candidate, but rather talking about a bunch of different candidates. We have four candidates running for office here in the greater Pennsylvania area, and they are running in special elections. He outlines every single one where a libertarian libertarian candidate is not only running, but also is having an amazing job at getting a lot of attention. And hey, might actually have some pull in the polls. All that coming up here on Sunday. So that being said, it's Brian Nichols signing off here on The Brian Nichols Show for Daniel DiMartino. We'll see you Sunday. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com. Audio production for The Brian Nichols Show is brought to you by DB Podcast Audio. Learn more by emailing inquiries to william at dbpodaudio.com.